0: Welcome to Steel City Church. We are all about connecting people to a loving God by sharing life together as we love Jesus and love all. We hope with this message you will have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross as we dig deeper into his word. Enjoy today's message. So I titled this sermon this week, In View of God's Mercy. I'm going to read uh, from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We just ask that you would uh, make it alive to us. God, that uh, through the looking into it, that you would use it uh, to transform our lives, that we would learn more about who you are, that we would learn more about who we are in you. And we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about transformation uh, these past few weeks and we're going to continue on that topic we picked up here in the 12th chapter of Romans it's important to understand what Paul has been writing about up to this point now lest your eyes glaze over or you you turn your screens right off I assure you I'm only going to paint this picture in the broadest terms I would recommend in your own time reading through Romans you could do it in a sitting or two and it would be to your benefit I'm sure it would give you a, a you'd be able to more fully grasp what Paul is saying here. This is the point in Paul's letter where he moves from teaching to telling, as I call it, from instruction about what God has done to exhortation about what we ought to do. He spent a long part of the Book of Romans on presenting a thorough systematic view on the gospel of salvation. Indeed, we're at about the two-thirds point of the book, And Paul's just starting with the personal application uh, part of the scripture, if you will. That's not to say that we don't find personal application in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Of course we do. When we learn who God is and what he has done for us, we learn how he sees us. And how he sees us is more important than how we see ourselves. Why is that? Because he values us more than we value ourselves. Have you ever known someone who had a very high opinion of themselves? you might say, I don't think anybody could value that person more than they value themselves. God can, and God does. Have you ever known a a Mr. Vain or a Miss Prideful, and you see right through them? You know that at the heart of their lofty opinion of themselves is a deep insecurity of who they are. They're self-deceived. It's why David, in his wisdom, sang out in Psalm 139, Search me, O my God, and know my heart. He wasn't saying that God didn't already know his heart, because of course God did. God knows everything. No, what David was saying is, I don't trust my own view of myself. He was admitting that he might have blind spots. You talk to someone who's going through something. Uh, Maybe they're in a bad relationship. And they'll, they'll tell you, they'll say something like, uh, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, well, why is that a thing people say? Right? It's because we're not always honest with ourselves. Incidentally, this is one reason why Bible teaching and Bible reading is so important. It's been said that the Bible is a book that we read, but it's also a book that reads us. It shows us ourselves, and it shows us our Savior. So let me, let me digress there. As we head into chapter 12, we move from a focus on correct belief to correct action. That's what I mean when I say practical application. And it's not any sort of a circumstance that correct action follows correct belief. Paul knew that our obedience to a Christian way of living was not something that should be coerced, if it even could be. But rather, we should respond to God in increasing obedience based on what he has done for us and is doing in us. So for this week, I'm gonna be focusing primarily on what God has done that should elicit such a response. Really, my main text for, for these two weeks is just the first two verses of Romans 12. But I kept reading past that for a couple of important reasons. One of which I'll address next week, and one I'll tell you now. The letter to the Romans was not written to one person. It was written to a group of believers. We tend to internalize when we hear or when we read the Bible. We ask, what does this mean to me? But that is not the question here. The question here is, what does this mean for a body of believers, first in Rome and now down through the centuries? This is an especially important point to make as most of you are not here but are worshiping in your own homes the day is coming soon when we will be back together amen Amen. the day is coming soon when we will be back together but while we're apart rest assured that none of you are forgotten you were thought of and you were prayed for you are missed we need to cultivate the mindset of being part of a body now maybe more than ever so that when we do meet again we are ready for God to do amazing things in and through Steel City Church as a whole it's a true saying that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link See, we're not hoping for the change lives of a few we're hoping and praying for a deeper transformative knowledge of who God is for anyone who ever walks through our doors Paul encourages the believers in Rome to take seriously the responsibility of serving God. Now, he's not being heavy-handed here. He's not being manipulative or coercive, as I stated. It's not a command. God wants our service to be given freely. Let me just read verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship." That, uh, that phrase, spiritual worship, can also be rendered rational service. The Greek uses the word, uh, I don't, may not pronounce this right, but logikin, uh, which is where we get the word logical from. Service to God should naturally follow a proper view of God's mercy. It should be logical. I remember years ago, I was at a youth convention. I was probably 16, maybe 17. Um, I don't remember much of what happened that weekend, but the one thing that has stuck with me throughout the years, there was a speaker, and he was talking about Jesus, and he said this thing. He said, he died for me. I'll live for him. He died for me. I'll live for him. See, that makes sense it's reasonable so what is mercy popular definitions of grace and mercy are often intertwined grace being us receiving blessings from God that we don't deserve and mercy being us not receiving from God the punishment we do deserve if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53 Isaiah chapter 53, and I will read verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all that's mercy Isaiah prophesying about God's plan for our salvation in about the eighth century BC now someone might say I'm a good person I don't need God's mercy I'm, I'm doing just fine. They should be saying, search me, O oh my God, and know my heart. No, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Ungodliness and unrighteousness incurs the wrath of God. But not for them, right? They're a good person. No, Romans 3.10 says it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And then later in the chapter, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, without God, we're in a bad state, so bad that we cannot even see it. We are committed, the Bible says, to going our own way. But God doesn't leave us there. And that's his mercy. In love, he took action to deal with our sin condition. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. Romans 6.23 says the wages, that's the payment, the penalty of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's mercy. God freely offers to forgive that penalty by paying it himself. But what does forgiveness mean to someone who doesn't think they need it? That may make someone else feel better about themselves. Good for them, they might say. But they don't understand it, and they can't receive it themselves. Jesus' first recorded teaching opens with, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that we recognize that we are in need of salvation and that we cannot save ourselves. We are utterly dependent on God. Jesus said it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. The poor in spirit recognize their sickness. They throw themselves on the mercy of God. Now, this is not a topic that Paul addresses only here. The mercy of God is a common theme of his. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and I will read verses 3 through 7. Titus, written not to a group of believers, but to one man who was pastoring a group of believers in Crete, Uh. worth noting that even while we're starting in verse 3 Paul tells Titus in verse 1 to remind them to remind the congregation the mercy of God needs to be taught and properly understood by all so Titus 3 verses 3 through 7 for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy "'hated by others and hating one another. "'But when the goodness and loving kindness "'of God our Savior appeared, "'He saved us, "'not because of works done by us in righteousness, "'but according to His own mercy, "'by the washing of regeneration "'and renewal of the Holy Spirit, "'whom He poured out on us richly "'through Jesus Christ our Savior, "'so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice that Paul isn't putting on heirs here. We ourselves were once, he says, and that's something that every believer can claim. We were once. We were once slaves, but we've been set free. We were once dead, but we've been made alive. We were once blind, but we have been made to see. This is not some pie-in-the-sky idea, you know, some lofty, uh, empty philosophy. This is God for no other reason than his mercy showing up to save those who had no way of saving themselves. One more, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and I will read verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved So again here Paul talks about you know, we we were like this we we were children of wrath But God saved us according to the riches of his mercy He gave us reconciliation through the death of his son Now if it seems like I'm belaboring the point, I am. For two reasons. First, if we don't serve God with his mercy toward us in view, we can turn this into what Alistair Begg calls a sort of a Christian quid pro quo. God did something for me, I'll do something to try to balance the sheet. And maybe if I do something else for God, he'll give me this in return, we try to bargain. I have a a couple of coworkers who come to mind uh, who cannot stand to be in anyone's debt. One time I was delivering at the Galleria Mall, and uh, I heard the one say how much he liked the Auntie Anne's pretzels with the pepperoni on them. So I bought him one. Who doesn't like those pretzels anyway, right? But so I bought him one. I took it to his truck. The next day he brought me a donut. (laughs) I appreciated it. But he didn't do it because he wanted to do it he did it because he felt like he owed me because i you know he could not stand to be in my debt which he wasn't in my debt to begin with one hand washes the other he says (laughs) that's not how our relationship with god is supposed to work we view his mercy towards us his great mercy that sent his son to pay our penalty what can we do but serve now, the other reason for belaboring the point when we, we talk about offering ourselves as living sacrifices to god if you talk about that without talking about god's mercy as the reason for it we can come very close to legalism mm-hmm. if we urge you like paul urged the romans toward a deeper obedience to god it's not to give you an arbitrary checklist of do's and don'ts to follow It's not like you're rushing a fraternity or a sorority. It's a shared encouragement in the knowledge that there's no better place to be than in the will of God. You see, religion says, do these things and don't do these things and you will be accepted. God says, you're accepted, now do these things. (laughs) You could absolutely uh, apply the mercy of God in our struggles with sin but that is not my focus here this morning. When we accept Christ we are saved from the penalty of sin, but we are not yet saved from the presence of sin. You can read 1 John chapter 1 uh, for more on this in your own time. But in it he says, if we have if we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I am a Christian. I sin. And so do you. I don't need you to tell me. (laughs) The Bible tells me. No. I want our focus instead, in view of God's mercy, to be on our level of commitment to God. But let me first say this. Maybe there are those out there uh, who are not believers, who happened upon this video being shared, maybe. If you've never heard or accepted the sacrifice that God made for you, Today is a great day to believe that God loved you and gave himself for you. If that's you, I would encourage you to send us a message. We'd be happy to talk more with you about God's mercy. And maybe someone's watching who is a believer, but you know that something is not quite right about your relationship with God. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. I suspect it's because he knows that we need them every morning. If you feel like you've gone off the rails, let me encourage you. You can't out-sin the grace and mercy of God. You can right now choose to throw yourself again and afresh on his mercy. And we'd love to talk to you about that too. And maybe you're doing great right now. And that's awesome. Tell someone about God's mercy. (laughs) Tell them what it can do for them. And in any case, we can, like David, ask the God who knows us better than we know ourselves to search our hearts and lead us in the way everlasting. Well, I'm going to close. If you're a part of Steel City Church, I just want to talk briefly about commitment. Uh, what it means not for me up here, uh, not for you sitting behind a computer in your living room or in a bedroom, but for what it means for us as a body. What does it mean to present our bodies as living sacrifices? Does it mean we never sin again? No. Does it mean we are committed to allow God to lead us, that we say that if God calls us to something, we need, in view of God's mercy, to be willing to follow him? I believe so I was encouraged this week by a leadership meeting we had on zoom we took turns sharing our hearts and multiple people uh, made the point that they wanted to do whatever God wanted them to do as God continues to lead us in getting a place to meet let's not view it as an ending but a beginning and I believe it is a beginning it will require our commitment not to the name Steel City or to a specific location, but to a God who will use it to minister the gospel to a community that so desperately needs it. They say that a church overestimates what it can do in a year, but vastly underestimates what it can do in five. I believe in five years, we will have either a planted church or another campus of Steel City, but it's going to take commitment Not long after Jamie and I started coming here, we were asked if we would be interested in a church plant. And we said no. (laughs) I recently had a conversation with her, and now I'm not so sure. I can't say that God is calling us to it. I don't know that. But I can say that I don't want to be outside of his will, that if he does call us to it, we will, in view of God's mercy, say yes. After all, he died for me. I'll live for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great mercy so undeserved. God, you loved us so much that you chose to pay the ultimate price to redeem us. And I just ask that you would uh, remind us of these things. God, it can, be, it can be hard to keep your mercy in view all the time, but that as we live our lives, as we go about our business, that we would not forget what you have done, that we would be more willing to hear from you on what we should do. We thank you for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.